Ortiz, and I've decided that I'm one of the new hosts of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm also known as Benedict Cumberpatch. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From the back room of the Martian Occupation Painting Room and Pseudo Tanning Salon in Sublevel 17 of Area 51, welcome to TalkCast 359, <clears throat> yet another edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Feeling queasy and yet somewhat relieved, I'm your host, The Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, the rest of the gang in the Peabody Time Tunnel, our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdrivering, sometimes violent virtuoso, tonight on the musical comedy couch, it's Kriana. Sometimes. Okay, most times. You happy? Am I ever? No, not really. From the stacks of her quiet places in the Dank Dungeons Manuscript Conservancy, with her advanced degree in California Cyborg at Pismo Beach College, with her advanced degree in Turing Linguistics and Salty Limericks, it's Zombrarian. I'm confused about who and what I am now. I know me too, but that's a whole different story. I didn't I even follow that. Well, you actually did follow it because I said it and then you did something afterwards. So technically, you followed it. Cool. Whether you followed it or not. Introducing now the man who invented Scent Around, an appliance that applies the correct smells to television programs. This invention lets you smell the swamps of Dagobah, the junkyard of Fred Sanford, and Tony Stark's penthouse office. All as it should be smelled, you're in the presence of greatness because he's here, our very own futurist and gamer, the guy who likes really shiny stuff, Awake by Java. I invented Smell-O-Vision? No, not Smell-O-Vision. Smell-O-Vision was the guy who did it for the movies, oddly enough, which oh, was weird. Right, so I was semi-uncreative. We're, you're mildly creative, let's put it that way. I At least based. Repurposeful. We're repurposeless. One we'll or the we'll other. call it um, <laughs> uh, environmentally responsible. <laughs> I like that. All right, that sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes me sound it like does. some kind of, you know, elitist. I'm happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Mm. So, what are you doing tonight, Craig? Uh, what are you doing tonight, Java? Wait, me or him? Uh, well, yeah, I mean... Well, I know what Kriana's doing tonight. What am I doing tonight? Something grumpy. Something grumpy. No, I'm doing fractals. That's what I always okay. do at 8 o'clock on every night. Exactly. Regardless of what else is going on. You know this. Java, what do you got going on tonight? Well, I'm right now I'm loading up Old, uh, no, old Man Sky. Old Man Sky. Yeah. Old Man's Sky, that's a new game. I've never heard of that one. It's Tell me all new, about it. It's, a, it's the new game for people who are old. 
Um, and actually, you know what? There's a book called The Old Man's War. Yes, by... Uh, can't think of his name now. Yeah. Uh, it was in, That was an interesting book. No, I'm, I'm playing No Man's Sky, but I was just uh, finishing up some work on my R2-D2 model, which I 3D printed on my 3D printer, because I am just not nerdy enough. Okay, now, when you sent us the picture of that, you should have said, I printed this on my 3D printer. That puts it in a whole new light. Nice job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a one quarter scale model of R2-D2. I'll, send, I'll put a picture on the, on the website when I'm done with it. Cool. Um, how long did that take to print? Oh, combined, uh, all the pieces probably took about 60 hours to print. Um, <laughs> so, you know, some of them more than others. But, yeah, it, it's a good model. And um, I'm taking the time to paint it, which is unusual for me, because uh, painting is tedious and detailed. And that's just not my uh, ADHD diagnosis. So I was going to say um, that that's not you in a million ways. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm, I'm trying something new. I'm expanding my vocabulary. Uh, yeah, it's fun. So. Okay. Yeah. So our second half of the show, we're going to be talking with uh, writer Ariel Sealing, uh, who's going to be at Granicon about her new book, The Polylocust Problem, which I'm told I can't spell, which is absolutely correct. But we're going to start off the show with Lori Moran and Amber Newberry, uh, to talk about putting the fun back in fun dead because these are the two purveyors of fun dead publications. Laurie Amber, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thanks. <laughs> Unfortunately, you've been listening to us for the last 20 minutes while we've been putting this show together. So you now know every secret that we have and that there's not oh, much to it. That's Trust so me. much power. <laughs> there's there's no power whatsoever because we don't do all that much. Talk about uh, Fun Dead Publications. Talk about how you put this this wonderful little show, uh, show together. It's, um, so it started off where um, I, Amber Newberry, I wanted to um, kind of give a venue for some of the writers I knew who hadn't stepped off of that last step into publishing yet, I wanted to give them the opportunity to kind of dip their toe in the water. Um, and because I have such a deep love for Salem, uh, where I live, I decided to do an anthology that revolved around the subject of Salem. Um, so I put the word out that I was accepting stories for the anthology and the interest grew. And within several months, we had a book. Um, and that was just the very beginning. That was a year ago that we released the first book, um, almost to the day, we're about a week out from being one year um, published for that first book. And since then, we've released four other books. Was that Shadows in Salem? Shadows in Salem was the first, yes. Okay. And for those of you who may not live in New England, it's Salem, Massachusetts, home of the wonderful witch trials. And it seems kind of a locus point for horror writers I think there are more per square inch there than virtually any place else in, in the United States. I'm not sure. Can't hold me to that one, but but it's darn close. I have to agree with you. It certainly feels that way, yeah. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? I mean, it's the weirdest thing. So, Laurie, how did you get involved? 
Um, so Amber and I have been friends for quite a while, and she actually self-published her um, first novel uh, a little bit prior, a couple years prior to uh, Funded starting. And I had edited that book for her. So when she started Funded, I first submitted as an author and then ended up coming on as an editor, and I've been with her ever since. Well, that seems fairly easy enough. <laughs> so you guys do a number of different things. Uh, you not only self-publish your stuff, you publish other people's works, you publish anthologies, and you have a number of services that you provide for the writing community. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Um, so for a while there, I had briefly opened up um, some developmental editing services and some marketing services, um, which we <laughs> we had to can for a little bit because we were just so incredibly busy with all the book releases that were coming out. Um, so currently, really, the, the major things that we offer our writers is really just getting the word out about them. Um, I would say that it's one of the most heavy things that we do is marketing our writers. We, we post a daily bio leading up to um, the releases of the book. So um, each writer gets kind of a spot on our Facebook page and social media um, where we're advertising their websites. So it's a chance for them to meet a new audience and get the word out about their work. Um, so that's really the main service that we're offering our writers, um, aside from, of course, the editing of their pieces for the anthologies. Well, the, the other thing that you do is you host a number of events in the Salem area for your yeah, uh, for true. your writers and things like that. Uh, Let's talk. You've, you've got one hell of a September, October booked. Oh, yes. We're, we're booked pretty solid. Um, we each book release, we try to hold a reading um, for the writers to come and uh, read a portion of their work or their entire piece, depending on the length. Um, and we, we try to do this for every single release, um, and rarely do we do the releases without having readings. Um, but even so, we've, we've scheduled a lot of events between September and October that are just readings that have nothing to do with our book releases. We've just invited local writers that we, um, you know, wanted to see perform their work live. Um, and we really pride ourselves in giving a different experience at our readings because, um, the general audience who appears for readings, you know, they, they're probably used to hearing the same thing. They, they listen to somebody read for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, we try to add something a little extra by ha holding the readings in a unique location, like the Witch House of Salem, um, which is actually the last standing building in Salem that is directly connected to the witch trials. Um, and we have an event coming up on September 23rd in Gloucester, Mass., um, and <laughs> For that one, we have a werewolf who plays the violin who will be opening the event for us. <laughs> it's called the Violin oh, Monster. <laughs> okay. The werewolf plays the violin. So. Yeah, he's very good. <laughs> he is. He's very good. I mean, I mean, even by human standards, he's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is, you know, not that the werewolf plays a great violin, but that he plays a violin at all. So the worst the worst part about what you guys are doing, and it, this is a horrible thing, is that you're having fun with it. 
I know. Uh-huh. We're horrible. We we're found just... something fun. We're, <laughs> we're terrible people for, you know, enjoying what we do. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the website, you look at the books that you're putting out, you look at the events that you're hosting and or slash going to and or participating in. Uh, yeah, it doesn't sound horribly boring. Uh, <laughs> and, Why? And it's not called Unbed. It's called Funbed. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, well, how did you come up with that name? Um, So the name was actually stolen from my original blog. Um, I had a blog where the undead could write in with their problems. Um, For example, there was a woman who wrote in about her her, uh, werewolf husband who was drinking from the toilet. And uh, (laughs) it was like a Dear Abby style site for the undead. Um, But that was where the name came from because it was, you know, very tongue in cheek. It was a silly sense of humor sort of situation. Um, So I titled it Fun Dead Publications. And it was supposed to read a little like a Dear Abby column in the newspaper. Um, But as I got a little more serious about my work and about writing and kind of realized that what I ultimately wanted to do was to help other writers get their work out there, it eventually became the name of the publishing house. One of the other interesting things that you do is that you actively uh, solicit submissions on your website, both stories and poems. How does that work out for you guys? How does that work? Well, it keeps me very busy. I I pretty much always have a slush pile. I actually, for the first time in a year, um, don't have a slush pile because we aren't accepting submissions at the moment for any new projects. Um, We've decided to focus all of our attention in October on the tourist traffic in Salem because we have a Salem-themed book coming out again, um, One Night in Salem, which is a Halloween anthology. Um, So we decided to cut the submissions, and we're planning something very exciting for early next year, which we'll be accepting open submissions for. I can't give anything away because we have to nail out a few details, but we're very, very excited about the subject, and it is not Salem. So if somebody has a short story that fits the criteria, he just goes to the website. Well, currently... Currently, our uh, blog submissions are closed at the moment. We um, recently just finished out our season of blog posts. Um, I want to say our last blog short story was maybe a week ago posted. Um, So then we won't have any new blog stories again until next year. And how do you you choose the books that that get published? So that's actually all me. I'm, I'm the idea girl. Amber has ideas okay. like most, like breathe in and out. Amber like ideas in and out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I keep a running list on my computer of ideas for anthologies that's about a, as long as my arm right now. Um, so basically what I do when we've completed one anthology or we've at least uh, closed out the submissions for one anthology, I come to Lori and I say, okay, these are my top three right now. Which one do you want to do? <laughs> and then we run with it. <laughs> so it's literally just sitting down with coffee or whatever else you want to drink and just, why don't we do this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's fun that day? Yeah. Are 
Booker met you guys at a convention and he literally texted me from the convention and went, you've got to have these guys on. I went, <laughs> and I went, I why? Uh, I have he, been told we have quite a presence when we set up a table somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be setting up tables all over the place in the next couple of months. But he, he said at the convention, you made quite a stir, not just because of what you were selling, but the, you were, the books looked really good and looked really fun. And he bought one of them and said, and they are really fun. <laughs> he judged a book by his cover, didn't he? Wow. And yeah. you know what he bought? He bought our Christmas anthology, which is secretly my favorite. <laughs> 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 anthology in like July. We sell the Christmas anthology year round. True. We never thought we would. We thought it would be super seasonal, and we sell it all the time. But it's just so good. <laughs> it actually has a fantastic sci-fi story in it. Um, because we, while we are a horror publisher, I, I frequently tell people we're a horror and gothic publisher, but we're fringe. So we publish anything we think is good. Um, so there is, in fact, a sci-fi story in Oh, Horrid Night, which is our Christmas anthology. Good Lord. <laughs> so what do you guys, I mean, obviously, you're kind of centered in Salem, the kind of uh, center of the horror universe, uh, especially at the this time of year, heading into the fall, heading towards mm -hmm. Halloween. Uh, you've got, talk to me a little bit more about uh, this new book that's coming out. So I'm very excited about this new book. It's actually one of my favorite ideas uh, we've done so far. And um, it's called One Night in Salem, and that's because the one night is Halloween night, and it takes place on different Halloween nights throughout history in Salem. It spans 400 years, so it's like a time-hopping anthology where one story you might be reading about 1629 on Halloween night, but the next story is 1963 on Lafayette Street in Salem. It's an interesting concept, and uh, it's really fun to see the different nostalgia that comes out with each decade that wound up in the anthology. And, of course, we couldn't hit on all of them, or the book would be the size of the Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we have 23 stories in the anthology, um, and we're very excited about it. I, we think that it has given a very clear picture of Salem. That's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, I think the best thing about it is that, um, I mean, we have a lot of Salem writers, and there were a lot of people who had been to Salem who wrote about Salem from the perspective of a tourist. Um, so you you get a lot of different views of Salem from the different people who might be there on Halloween night, people who have been there forever, or, you know, people... Will be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was going to say, Lafayette Street is not somewhere that tourists usually go but it is exactly. one of my favorite parts of Salem um, oh. actually the, the Lafayette Street story that I mentioned is my story um, it's called Haunting of Lafayette Street and it is a homage to Shelley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House <gasps> which end of <laughs> Lafayette Street though I have to ask down towards the I'm sound sorry. Down towards the sound or more up towards the center of town? Sort of Which right in the middle of Lafayette Street. 
It's a, it takes place in a Victorian house on Lafayette Street. Um, we do actually get the main characters walking downtown on Halloween Day. In- but if you know Lafayette Street at all, the house that Amber picked is her, in- her inspiration. It's like a block and a half or two blocks uh, toward the college from Christina's Pizza. Do you know where that is? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which wasn't there at the time. No. The no. <laughs> But I actually, I might know which Victorian house you're talking about. <laughs> it is um, it is the gray and purple one with the tower and the half moon window in the front. That's the one I thought. Oh my God. I feel so Salem <laughs> smart now. Sorry, I commute. I'm sorry. Salem. I commute through Salem. Oh, and so now I feel okay. like I'm almost like- local <laughs> enough because I recognize that's that house. That's actually, it's one of my favorite things about the Salem anthologies is that we get this kind of snapshot of Salem through the eyes of a different writer. Um, And Shadows in Salem is like that too, but I think this one is even more so because Halloween is such an all-encompassing thing in Salem. Um, It's like the very heart of Salem. Most people think of the witch trials when they think of Salem, but for those of us who live there or live nearby know that Halloween is Salem, yeah. Halloween is now. bigger than Christmas <laughs> in Salem. <laughs> and it's very interesting to see the different, you know, like going from today where there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the street and everybody's dressed up, adults, children, and back in time to the different customs at the time where like adults never would have dressed up or kids didn't trick or treat. I mean, there were, there were times um, that, you know, you were like, oh, I wish we could just have the story happen trick or treating in the story. And they were like, wait, trick or treating wasn't nothing people did yet. <laughs> Well, there was there was even one where the war was on and trick or treating wasn't happening because of the sugar shortage. Yeah. Um, and we had to do all this research to make sure that these things were accurate to fit into the historical timeline. It sounds so like cool. you guys. <laughs> I know. Sounds like you guys are having way too much fun doing something you like doing. I know we're horrible people. <laughs> yeah. No. It's- <laughs> It's it's a terrible thing. You should you 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 should be chastised for it. In lieu of that, I'm going to ask after Halloween, after One Night in Salem comes out, do you have any other kind of projects you really want to do? A really long nap. <laughs> yeah, a nap would be really good right now. Um, a nap? Come on. I, actually, our next project is my personal pet project that I've been wanting to do since the very beginning. Uh, so I'm very excited about it, but I have to keep it under wraps for now because uh, we just need to nail out a few more details on it. I, I can tell you that it is something that I am extremely excited about, and it'll, it'll also be for stories that are longer than our usual publications. Um, usually, we'll request a limit of 6,000 words. This time, it'll probably be 15,000. So One Night in Salem is actually coming out on September 30th. Is that when it opens? Correct. And uh, we're having a huge Halloween party, a decade-themed Halloween party at Notch Brewery in Salem. On Derby Street in Salem. What a horrible place to have a party. (laughs) Yeah, I know. The beer is right there. (laughs) That place is 
fantastic too. They they grew all their own beer there. The owners that of the the place, Chris and Mary Ellen and Nate, are awesome, and they welcomed us with open arms to host our party there. So we're super excited about it. Absolutely. And if you'd like to pick up a copy, you can pre-order from our website. Um, our shop is FunDeadShop.com. So you can pre-order to pick up there, or you can maybe pick up a copy if we don't sell out of pre-orders in advance. <laughs> Well, ladies, I must tell you, Lori, Amber, it's uh, really interesting what you guys are doing. It sounds like a lot of fun. People who've read your books say this is as much fun as you can have talking about dead people and dead things <laughs> and, and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's just built in. It's a huge compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank you for joining us. And, and Hope that as you have new things coming on and new things coming up, you'll come back and tell us about them. Yeah, fabulous. Absolutely. Lori Moran and Amber Newberry from Fun Dead Publications. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Kriana, let's do a little bit of news. What do you say? So Java, stop spray painting. <laughs> no, no, I just activated the. I'm gonna pick up Ariel as well. Okay. Anyway, uh, you know what? We haven't talked news in a long time, man. Some movies came and went. Yep. You know, um, we'll any of them into... quite quickly. Good. Hello. Yeah, you know a lot. Hi, Ariel. How are you? Good. Good. Movie, uh, there were a lot of movies, and not all of them were great. We're, we're, but we're getting back into television season here in a little bit. So, oh, did you happen to see the Defenders? I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. My friends have been, all been talking about it, but I've been holding off um, because you know I'm not. I just got. I just got caught up on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, oh, okay. I have not what, been watching. What was the last thing you saw? I, we watched through Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um, still haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, but it's it's coming up here. I think it releases on DVD the 19th of September, so that's something to look out for. Really looking forward to it. He was great in Civil War. so um, And also looking forward to Black Panther. I might go see that in the theater. Mm. But, um, you know, good things happening there. I just, you know, uh, Daredevil didn't keep me interested. Um, and I didn't, I still haven't seen any of the other shows really well um, i've got so. i've got to tell you daredevil didn't keep me interested at all but daredevil as a member of the defenders absolutely did as well as yeah. jessica jones which i thought was is a terrific series yeah and you i know, can't wait best, for season two the sci-fi series that, that i've been the only sci-fi series i've been watching recently has been rick and morty <laughs> Okay. And you know, you know, um, it's one of those shows that, yeah, it's it's definitely sci-fi. It's definitely in genre, but man, it's crazy and so funny, and just over the top. It is fantastic. And you know, if you're not a fan of like um, sci-fi that uh, that gets all serious, you know, like uh, like. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, which can be just stuff. boring and painful to watch. 
you know, there, so there are options out yeah. there. Rick and Morty has three seasons out. Go ahead and watch it. It's on Adult Swim. It's on the app if you want to watch it on your phone. Uh, definitely worth a watch. And if you, you think it's funny, go ahead. It's it, it's eminently bingeable. They're short episodes. I worked my way through the first two seasons in like a weekend. Um, but one thing that I'm really excited to watch is uh, the the Orville. Which is coming out, oh. I think, in two weeks. Yes, it's, it's I'm a week so torn because the promos look good, but what's his face? Family Guy guy. Now I'm gonna forget, just as I'm saying something important. What's his name? Tell me. That guy. Yes, yeah, that guy. The yeah, guy who created it. Seth, not Seth Rogen. No, it's Seth McFarland. Seth McFarland. Yeah, that one. That's Seth. Um, he has a history, at least for me, of starting off well and then just kind of going like, eh, I'm going to rest on the same old tired jokes. You know, that's, that's kind of true, but I think that most of that happens when he leaves his series. Because most of his stuff has been animated. So... You know, I think he hasn't been a driving force behind a lot of that stuff for a long time. He goes on to his next project. The, the difference with the Orville is he's like the lead, right? And it is his project completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. Even if it's just, you know, the first few episodes are funny and then it stops being funny. I'm excited because it's a spoof on Star Trek. And well, you know what? If somebody needs to be taken down a few pegs, it's, it's Star, Star Trek. Trek. You know, and really as does. Galaxy Quest has taught us, who yeah. doesn't love a spoof on Star Trek? Well, and the uh, problem is that, you know, there was supposed to be a Galaxy Quest 2, and then things happened and people died, and it, it couldn't happen. And this is as close as we're going to get to Galaxy Quest 2, and, and I'm totally hoping for the best for it. Absolutely. Well, and especially in lieu of, you know, actually having Star Trek. Which, we don't Which we'll have for one episode, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Is yeah. the key word there. Mm-hmm. Just, just, keep, just keep throwing qualifiers at Star Trek until it happens. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just... Still hasn't happened yet. You're absolutely no, right. Still can't see it. You know, nope. I don't, I've, stopped, I've stopped caring. I've I haven't stopped, stopped caring. caring. I mean, I've stopped believing that, that it... Uh, I'm so mixed about it. I am so and you mixed. Know, on the other side of speculative fiction and television shows, you've got Game of Thrones, which absolutely delivered on this last season. I don't know if you guys have seen the finale, but I man, no spoilers. I was completely satisfied. Um, totally worth watching. I, I I kind of, I won't say lost interest, but lost uh, excitement for it this, this last season. The last two episodes brought it back for me. I mean, anytime you're going to bring Ed Sheeran as, as a special guest, uh, you should never do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, but I, I don't know. I they, I think that's Hollywood business. Uh, you know, it, it got people who wouldn't normally watch the show to watch, and maybe it hooked them. I don't know. Those I seven other care. people, yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Ed Shireen has a big following. He's got like millions of followers on Twitter. So. But none anyway. of them 
none of them are HBO subscribers, so it doesn't really matter. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But you know, um, I, here's here's HBO's problem. Game of Thrones is over. There is no new Westworld. Um, so you nothing know, to watch. W- there's nothing to watch. So you know what I'm immediately going to do? Everybody's canceling it. <laughs> and it's funny because they they try desperately to keep. They, they know. They've got emails lined up and social media campaigns, and they're like, look at all this other stuff we have. Watch The Wire. Thanks, no. Dude, <laughs> it's, it's, it's too late. Bring me something that I want to watch. Yep. Um, and, and they do sit sometimes, and if they come up with something, I'll absolutely watch it. But, I mean, we got two more years, what, 2019 for the next uh, episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, Westworld doesn't come back till next till year. Till 2018, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you, you got to have something compelling uh, for me to watch. And yeah, actually, I do want to watch The Wire, but uh, I don't know, man. It's it's out there on other services, I think, too. Uh, yeah. If it's not, you know, it's it's an old show, so uh, nobody's watching the. Isn't it on Netflix? I know it was. I don't know, uh, but there there's plenty of stuff out there for you to watch if you if you want. Uh, and don't whatever you do. Don't go see the Dark Tower. <laughs> because a uh, total waste of time, money, and uh, interest. So, uh, I'm told, I'm told that there's relation to the book. Yeah. I mean, we I could probably talk about it for a while. But you know what? Stephen King has so many irons in the fire. It looks great. You know, I am on board with it because the old it movie was boring i only saw it i saw it in my 20s it wasn't scary i didn't you know i wasn't freaked out but this scare this movie looks scary forget you the cover of the old it movie gives me nightmares (laughs) (laughs) and because i'm uh, afraid of clowns but still What's the other one? Um, there's a new, uh, another Stephen King television series being developed, uh, Castle Rock. Oh, and there's another one. Um, what is it? Mr. What is it? Mr. Something. It's alliterative. Um, I don't know. It's another Stephen King. Um, Mr. It comes up on my podcast all the time. I don't know. Mr. Magnificent or something like that. And that's being made into a show, too. So Stephen King is all over the place. I'm, he probably just completely forgot that they were doing the Dark Tower. Like he <laughs> completely checked out. He was like, "I got other stuff to do." You guys, sorry, I figured out, guys. Um, because I'm it out. was awful. It oh, was so. Shit. I looked over at my wife halfway through that movie, and I said, "This is boring." I I I never talk in movies. I don't. I I'm the I'm the guy who will uh, passive aggressively whisper at you to shut up while I'm sitting in a movie theater, especially when I pay, you know, 40 bucks to see a movie. Shut up. But, you know, I was, I, it was boring. It was just boring. Hey, and on that note, uh, let's talk about something that's not boring. Uh, Joining us for the second half of the uh, cast tonight is someone who described herself in haiku form on her website. The haiku is, I am Ariel. I write books and carry ducks. My three cats are weird. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Ariel Sealing. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's the best haiku <laughs> introduction I've ever, it's the only haiku introduction I've ever done, but it's also <laughs> the best. Uh, and oh, your website you. is as quirky and interesting as your writing is. Uh, so let's talk about you for a little bit and then talk about your writing. Because if you were to look at everything on your website, except the books, no one would say, yeah, this is a hard science fiction writer. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, how did you get to that point where you became a science fiction writer? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I was read hoping fantasy. it would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mostly read fantasy. I don't even read that much science fiction. Um, I think I'd probably classify them as soft ish science fiction. Um, cause I don't, I don't go a lot into physics. I don't go a lot into, you know, the details of how this technology works or that technology. I like, I like to focus on plot. Um, but I, I like to think about, you know, how the world works and how it could work and how it probably won't work and then just play with stuff, make stuff up. I always like the idea of other planets, so I write about other planets, you know. I like the idea of aliens, so I invent aliens. Um, and that's how I became a sci-fi writer, <laughs> I guess. So your favorite author, and it shows in your writing, is Terry Pratchett. Uh, talk to me yeah. about how you got interested in, in Terry's work and what about it uh, became kind of the focal point for you. So um, my older brother actually got me hooked on Terry Pratchett. He started reading it in college and then basically ordered me to start reading it and handed me, you know, the first like 10 books of the ser of his series. Um, and I started right at the beginning. And there's a bunch of things I like. Um, the first is I love his uh interpretation of society or his his satirical take on society and the way that people interact with each other and that's something i can absolutely not mimic like it's it's so good and it's so subtle and blatant at the same time and i just i love that um he's great at descriptions he's great at characterization um i love most of his books and that's another thing i like about him is when you read his books you can see first of all his progression as a writer, if you read them in order, you can see his first books are great, but they're not as good as some of his later books. And as he gets older and got deeper into his um, early onset Alzheimer's, you can also see some of his later works suffering from that. But I love that because it just, it makes him so human. You know, he's not trying to be perfect and his books aren't the best thing in the world every single time. They are the artistic creation of a real person and I love that about him too well the one thing that you said is you you couldn't try to mimic his style and and I don't think you don't do in any way shape or form but what I think you do in the books that I've read of yours and the one that I've read completely which is the clock winked which I really like is there's a sense of Pratchett's whimsy that comes yeah. through there's, there's Pratchett for everything else that he did uh, and all the uh, rough edges that he supposedly had and all this stuff. There was always an overlay of whimsy to what he wrote. And you seem to have caught that and run with it quite nicely. 
Yeah, that's one of the, the things I've sort of fleshed out about my voice as a writer is that idea of, of being light. And no matter how dark the world gets, there's still funny things that happen and there's still beauty in the world and there's always whimsy. I like that word, whimsy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I like it too. I think it's <laughs> a really apt description of what it is you do. Uh, and again, the one book of yours that I really kind of uh, munched all the way through and really enjoyed uh, because it's the only one I have is The Clock Winked. And as, as that book gets very dark from time to time and moment to moment. And yet uh, the, the main character has uh, a sense of joy and wonder to uh, his, himself and the world around him that he brings out. It's, it's, it's quite wonderful, to be honest with you. Thank you. So at this point, you have a couple of weird things going on in your book world. Uh, and I yeah. don't know any other way to describe it. Uh, your latest book is The Polylocus Problem. Uh, and The Clock Winked is the second book in that series. I'm confused. Yeah. So, uh, so the... The one thing I did do to mimic Terry Pratchett was that each book is technically its own story, so you can mm -hmm. read them in any order. So I finished The Clock Winked first, so I just published it. But there is also a chronological order for my own sanity. Um, so The Wounded World, chronologically, is the first book in the series, then The Clock Winked, then The Lonely Welk, then the polylopus problem, which is the one that I'm coming out with on, on Friday. But here's the we real, real problem that I have. If you take all that and put it on a table and you draw a line down the center of the table and you look at the other half of that table, you have Rutherford, the unicorn sheep. Yes, my other <laughs> series, my children's book series. Talk to me about Rutherford the Unicorn Sheep. <laughs> well, Rutherford the Unicorn Sheep is a unicorn sheep. Very small. Okay. He's about two inches tall, maybe. And he has adventures. And I am not good at art, so I opted to do photography in place of illustrations for the kids' books. So I take pictures of Rutherford doing things and then turn the stories. Um, and it's really fun. It's really fun. Rutherford at the Walnut Skunk Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do this? Where, where's your inspiration for this coming from? Um, well, you know, after I got out of the college, I was unemployed and bored and I had a lot of time on my hands, so I started messing around with blogs, um, and honestly, I literally just found a stuffed sheep, put a Q-tip in its head, and said, huh, look, a unicorn sheep, and then I took a few pictures of him and posted it on my blog, and thus, Rutherford the Unicorn Sheep was born, and I made a couple story posts about him, and I got a ton of response, um, mostly from, like, grandmother-aged women. They thought thought it was the cutest thing and they they loved the stories um and so then I decided once I started publishing I decided to turn them into books and they are relatively popular especially at comic cons and craft fairs and that sort of thing 
You have six, seven books in the series now. Yep, seven. I'm hoping to put another one out this year, but we'll see how much time I have. Okay, so if I'm going to be honest and ask you about your process, I have to believe that you you have two different writing processes, one for your children's books and one for your sci-fi. Very different. (laughs) They're very different processes. So for the kids' books, um, one of my favorite things to do with those is sort of let the story tell itself. So I take the unicorn sheep and Wilford the walnut skunk, who is his trusty sidekick. Um, And I kind of, I put them in a situation that's a little bit like I can't control completely. So if you, you know, look at the titles of the book, it's like um, Rutherford walks the dog. So I took him to a friend's house where there's dogs. I can't control what the dogs are doing. So I just took photos and tried to make them do stuff and then built a story out of that. Um, Rutherford goes to the apiary. It's the same thing. My dad has a, is a beekeeper. Um, so we went up to the bee yard, took some photos, can't control what the bees are doing or what my dad does for that matter. And so then the story just kind of builds itself out of whatever photos I have. It's almost like found art, but not exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, with the novels, on the other hand, those are much, much bigger stories. And I usually start with a concept or a character. Um, so for the polylocus problem, I started with a concept because I actually had the fifth book in the ser- series already written, but there was something missing in between the third book and the fifth book. <laughs> and so yeah, it would be I the fourth, this... but sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the polylocus problem is the fourth. So that's so like started knowing that there was a gap between the third and the fifth book and I had to fill it. So I filled it with the polylocus problem. So I started with a concept, but for the wounded world, for example, I started with the character, Quinn, the main character. I had Mm -hmm. this idea of how I wanted to develop him. And so I wrote a story around him and how he develops as a person. So even though these, very different, even though these books are self-contained stories, and self-contained novels. There's an over arc throughout the series as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I try to run characters through. Um, John and Quinn are my two right now. They're my two main characters. They're in every book. Um, sometimes as major characters and sometimes as minor characters. Um, and so character development is off right now is my main arc that kind of runs through them. Try to grow my characters and grow the universe. And then the other overarching um, storyline is around the doors. The doors are the main technology as you read in the clock wing. And I've been trying to look at how that develops and changes itself and people and society over time. Yeah, well, throughout the course of the books, you do see, uh, and and I think you're being a little disingenuous to yourself when you say you don't deal a lot with the technology and the hard stuff, because you do, but you deal with it in a way that most science fiction writers don't. You deal with technology as a function of society as opposed to an adjunct to it. You know, it's not the gun. Well, it's, well, the doors are... You know, the doors are 
the, 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 the transportational means, but there are doors everywhere, just as there are doors everywhere. And I thought that that was kind of a genius way to do it. And I really enjoyed the way you, you allowed that to layer itself into the story rather than making it, here's the invention. It changes everything because it's like nothing. It's a freaking door. And it, here's what it does. And it's wonderful. Now, you decided uh, along the way to self-publish as opposed to going after a publisher or a publishing house. Yep. Uh, how come? Um, bunch of reasons. Um, the first reason is because I really like that aspect of creative control. Um, I had some friends who had done, I have some friends who had done both. Some of them had gone the traditional route. Some of them had gone the independent route. Um, and I really like the idea of being able to decide myself when the story was done and to decide what covers I liked for it and to, um, take all of that responsibility onto myself. Of course, that's a double-edged sword because on one hand, you know, you get to create the best product you can create, but at the same time, you only create the best product that you can create, <laughs> if that makes sense. And, and you're eminently um, responsible for it. You can't blame yeah, it on 100%. anybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you bomb, but at the same time, if you do mess up, you can fix it. You know, if the publisher messes up, there's really nothing you can do about it. But if you mess up, you have complete control and opportunity um, to go back. And so one of the things I did wrong my first time around um, was I didn't have professional cover design. I didn't pay for professional cover design. And I recognized that partway in and I went back and I paid for professional cover design. So I have a second edition of all three of the first books with new, beautiful, you know, engaging sci-fi looking covers. And had I had a publisher and they made terrible covers, I never would have been able to fix that. And but you would have been stuck with them at that point, yeah. Yeah, exactly. For but isn't it a lot more difficult? Right. Isn't it a lot more difficult from a creative point of view to have to also be uh, the person in charge of uh, everything else on top of it? Yes. Yes. It. it Definitely. I, I think I'm fortunate um, because I actually ended up quitting my job a couple years ago and doing full-time freelance everything. So because I'm able to do that, um, I have the flexibility to put more time into things like marketing and making good covers and making decisions. Um, back when I had a full-time job, it's a lot more stressful because you're trying to, trying to balance that on top of everything else. Sure. Um, so... You, you mentioned that you work with a writer's group. Now, every writer that I've spoken with at one point or another has probably worked in a writer's group. Some have three or four that they're in. Uh, some mm -hmm. don't like them, uh, but force themselves to do it because of the, the creative interplay. Others really like them so much that some they think that they don't get enough done because they're having too much fun doing it. What, what does the writer's group do for you? Um, so I have been a part of uh, multiple writer's groups. Um, my favorite one, um, I'm actually, I moved in January, so I've kind of had to let go of some of um, my 
you know, obligations, but my favorite one was a science fiction and fantasy slash speculative fiction group based in like uh, Rochester, New Hampshire area. Um, and they were great because most of the people in the group were focused on independent publishing. They're all at different parts of the process, but um, they really focused on creating the best writing that they could create. So we all submitted um, pieces of our work um, and critiqued it together. And then we would have like a big discussion about it. And I think my writing improved leaps and bounds um, during the period of time where, where we were running that regularly. Um, in addition, I learned so much about self-publishing just because everyone else was doing it. So we could all learn from each other's mistakes. Um, I also facilitated a senior writers group for a while, which I loved. That one um, was more of a emotional support type thing where everybody bought pieces, they read their poems or whatever they were working on out loud and chatted about it. And then everyone went home feeling good. Um, and I loved that one because first of all, it gave me a lot of new perspectives on the world that I would not have gotten otherwise. Um, and also because it just made me feel good. Every time I went there, I felt like I was doing the right thing. You know, the, the writing career was the right path for me. Um, and then I've been involved in some writing groups online. Um, and those ones, they tend to vary, you know, sometimes I love them, you know, it's great discussions. And other times you kind of, you get sucked into, into a, a deep, dark pool of, of horribleness. Um, <laughs> cause it's the internet, right? <laughs> yeah. It's inherently bad and evil. We all know this. <laughs> what? Okay, I've got to ask this because I don't want to be a jerk about it, but the the header on your website is Ariel Ceiling in love with the universe. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, it means I'm obsessed with everything from the way the stars look in the night sky to the way that ants pick up pieces of food and carry them home to the way that the leaves look, you know, against the sun when they're flickering in the wind to the way the bricks feel when they're warm after the sun has been on them. I love the idea of exploring the universe. I love the idea of the giant frozen ocean somewhere out in a galaxy somewhere filled with just ice an ocean of ice. Um, and I love everything about it. It's basically been kind of an obsession for me for, for many years. So that's where I'm in love with the universe comes from. You're going to be able to talk and, and see, talk to and see Ariel Ceiling Granicon in about two and a half weeks. And, uh, don't miss the chance to see her, to talk to her, pick up her books. They're a lot of fun. Hopefully you'll be bringing the unicorn sheep with you as well, because I would love to meet him while we're there. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Kriana, do you know what's coming up in the next couple of weeks on the show? Nope. Okay, well, next week, Chris is going to talk about Graviton, and Rhiannon McCullough is going to be joining us, which ought to be cool. And then the week after that, Don Higgins joins us with a deep Talk about this well. Live by Sunday night. Look at the news.com. You can go to the cardhouse.com. You can see the best deals of digital art, 
from dust. Okay. Saturday night's first anthology. But Amazon. Sure, drop by and say hello. Talking again. Our intro is production. And our outro music was provided. Thanks to the gang for joining us tonight. From anybody down down to sleep after someone. Yeah. Thank you so much. What did I hear my name? Huh? Yes, you did. And back from the rolling hills of brain. Thanks for the fish. Much appreciations, Java. This is Dome singing. Terry and Jeannie shared pain is lessened. Shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Have a great one, everybody. I know.